from newstalkzb.co.nz. It's the Mike Hosking Breakfast with BNZ. G'day there and welcome to the rewrap for Tuesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking Breakfast on News Talk ZB on Tuesday. Did I already see that? Yeah, an Acilia package. It's all in a Acilia package anyway. A bit tired. I was out late last night. I don't know. It's only Monday. The rest of the week does not bode well. Uh, Winston in charge. Does the rest of the next six weeks bode well, given that that's how long he'll be our Prime Minister for? Uh, Trump's trade war. Mike's got a few problems with it. Uh, the Apple case... Uh, not the case of Apple's, Apple's court case. Uh, we'll come to that shortly. Uh, but first up, all these strikes. It's got Mike so worried. Now, in 2016, let me give you some numbers. 2016, there were three strikes. Just three. It involved 430 people. Those are the latest numbers we have. And if you go back over the past bunch of years, it does vary year to year. But the indisputable stat that smacks you between the eyes is the simple truth that we got on with life and turned up to work. Industrial action was a thing of the past. And as a kid who grew up in the 70s had holidays stalled because of the predetermined Cook Strait ferry action, it was part of the social landscape of my formative years. People like Ken Douglas and Pat Kelly were household names on the news most nights with claims and threats. There seemed there was always someone with a grievance and a claim and a stop work meeting and a packet. And as a result of watching all of this, by the time I hit the workforce at the age of 16, one of the first people to come up and say hello was the company's union rep. And I had inform- I, uh, I'd formed the view by that point that, by and large, unions were, a little, were of little of genuine use and I, they spent too much of their time looking for trouble. So even at the age of 16, fresh out of home on the minimum wage, I turned down these several dozen offers that were made to join the unions and I thought I might back my own talents and work ethic. And the sad thing about what we're seeing right now is that it would appear we have not learned from the past decade. You don't know that you've got it good until you don't have it good anymore. You forget about strikes and industrial action if there aren't any. But if what we're seeing right now takes off, it will be the 70s all over again. The nightly news will be filled with anger and grievance and strikes and pickets and claim and counterclaim. Not that there aren't a few people, of course, who probably deserve a better deal. But here's your cold hard truth. Unions don't get it for you. I have never once seen an offer of, say, I don't know, 2%. Rejected by a union, a strike follows and the employer buckles, brought to their knees and a new offer of 9 or 10%. Doesn't happen. They scrap over scraps and all that ends up happening is a divisiveness in the workplace that could have been, should have been avoided. Unions do remember, members wise, are a pale shadow of what they once were. So what we're seeing right now basically is a recruitment drive. They've got their old favourites in power, the Labour Party, the government have talked up the misery and woe and the unions smell the good old days. They live to feather their own nests. They long for memberships and subs and the power to have the nation's boardrooms at their mercy. That's basically what they're about. They do not have this country's best interests at the top of their lists. Didn't under Pat Kelly. Don't now. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Uh, Because I guess they're there to protect people who aren't very confident about speaking up for themselves. People like Mike, people like me, we don't have a problem speaking up for ourselves. That's all we ever do. So it's hard to get your head around the fact that there might be somebody out there who's a bit shy about that. Anyway, uh, acting Prime Minister Winston Peters, he's no shrinking violet either. The share market today is the highest this country has ever been. In fact, it's the leading share market in the world in terms of value, uh, and that's an international comparison. So why would we believe in some um, sort of opaque barometer measure that's of no value at all? Would your view be adjusted slightly if come Thursday the numbers don't look good? Well, the numbers may not look as good as they did on Thursday, but I said that on the night 
when we chose to go into the coalition. Was that your backup plan? You knew you were going to tank the economy, so you gave yourself some uh, wriggle room? No, no. Don't rush to a conclusion and say, we plan to tank the economy. Why would you make a statement like that? Because I so, just thought we'd start so with a little bit of light sparring, bit so, of funsies. Well, well, don't do that. Try and, be, try and be neutral and unbiased. The reality is that I said on election night, the likely future was coming in this way, and I made it very clear at the start so that no one will be able to blame us into the future. But we also, that was followed up by a really long, beautiful, magnificent summer for holiday makers, but not for the agricultural and not for the export sector. Mm. So that's going to have a blimp on the horizon as well. Okay, so you, you would not be surprised come Thursday to see the GDP numbers down generally? Well, marginally down, yes. Okay, and long term, see, there seems to be a consensus among economists now that we're going to dip on going below 3%, which is in fact below what the rest of the world appears to be doing. Well, give me a break. <laughs> the rest of the world's going at 3%. The OECD the other day forecast in excess of 3% growth globally, yes. Well, you said forecast. You didn't say it's happening, did you? Yeah, but Winston, you said blimp on the horizon instead of blip. So, (laughs) fun times. Uh, Some people made comparisons, including me, to... Trump. Mike, do you think Winston got up early this morning or he's still pissed from last night? He still didn't seem to understand the thing you said. <laughs> well, we know that he didn't get up early because he was 20 minutes late for a, a, an oh, earlier dear. engagement. No, he was what he was doing. He said off air to me the reason he was late for the television this morning, he was prepping for this show. He sets aside this show as his uh, as his his peak for the morning, and if he wants to perform, he wants to perform on this program. That's basically what he says. Uh, by the way, I, 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 I don't know if you know, but I like Winston. Winston and I go back years and years, probably 20, 25 years, who would know, but um, very, very difficult to dislike Winston. You, you see him for what he is. He's been around. You reach a certain stage in a political career, in my view, whereby you are what you are, and, and there is much to criticise, and you look back, and I wonder in his dark, quiet moments whether he doesn't look back at some point and wonder if I was slightly more moderated. Uh, he might have done better, but, you know, geez, he's 72, he's 73, he's the Prime Minister, he's filling in, it's a dream come true. He is what he is, you're not going to change him, and, and I sort of enjoy the irreverence about him. I like people who are irreverent. Uh, Jacinda isn't, she's too worthy, and she's less fun. I like fun people. I guess, it, I mean, it is fun, and, 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 and there are those similarities to uh, Donald Trump's style, obviously, as well. It's well hard, he quoted, it's, you see, he quoted Trump. First thing he did yeah, was start quoting Trump. And it's hard to avoid that. But, and so it is all fun and games until, like, the prospect of, I don't know, going to war comes up. Yeah, no, no, and, exactly. and, then, and then things get a little bit more serious. Well, I'm hoping that in the next six weeks we won't be heading to war. I think Winston's probably fairly, feeling fairly solid. But yeah, I mean, what could, what could possibly happen what could in possibly six weeks? Yeah, I mean, it'll all be fine. Uh, while we're mentioning Trump, of course, let's mention Trump some more. If China needs some more soybeans at a cheaper price, they can go to Brazil, Argentina or India. Part of Trump's issue is he doesn't seem to get that America isn't all that attractive as an exporter. Their car industry would be a classic example. Most of their cars are made for domestic consumption because they're big and they're ugly and no one wants to buy them. Now, is that a trade imbalance because of a previously bad deal or because they can't make cars? He seems to be mixing his messages. With walls and isolation, he looks like he wants to stand alone, but then he can't get past the fact that international trade isn't slanted his way, so a tariff war is the only answer. In a free trade market, and this is where Germany comes in, you go to the world with goods you've made at prices the world likes. No one does it better than Germany. They have a trade surplus to make your eyes water. Why? 
because the world likes BMWs better than Chryslers. They have a surplus because they're good, if not the best. Our story, and things like wine and dairy and kiwi fruit, same thing. The best product for the best price. We have a surplus with a number of our trading partners. Trump fails to understand if he made better products at better prices, he'd help his cause. Being a bully is going to help no one, least of all the farmer who voted for him, expecting an outcome the exact opposite to what he's about to get. So uh, just while we're uh, keeping an eye on uh, American business movers and shakers uh, what's apple been up to lately uh, you know mike he loves his tech so apple and the supreme court so the supreme court has agreed to take up apple's bid to escape this lawsuit uh, the lawsuit accuses it of breaking federal antitrust laws by monopolizing the market for iphone software applications causing consumers to pay more than they should. So in other words, Apple dominates their own market and they can charge what they like, therefore the punter pays more. This goes back to 2011, a lawsuit out of California that Apple lost. Developers set the prices of their apps, right? Apple collects the payments from the iPhone users, charging developers a 30% commission on each purchase. And the case hinges... On a 77 case, 1977 case, U.S. Supreme Court, that limited damages for anti-competitive conduct to those directly overcharged rather than indirect victims who paid an overcharge passed on by others. First question, do you understand what I just said? B, if you didn't, here's my problem with the story. My problem with the story is that Apple own their own apps and their own app store. Therefore, they run a monopoly. Therefore, if you want to be an Apple store, there's only one place to be. It's their store. And you take their deal or no deal, and they will charge you what you want. And I can't see how that's not anti-competitive. In other words, I agree with the original California decision, and I can't for the life of me work out how the Supreme Court would overturn that like Apple want them to. Well, I mean, what you should do is what I do when it comes to anything to do with Apple and ignore it and hope that it goes away. So far, not so good as a strategy. I mean, it's typical of everything that Apple ever does. Their whole ecosystem, uh, like with their uh, devices, for example, is all aimed at, you know, you do it their way. Um, Or, you know, you don't do it, basically. And even when you do do it their way, they'll eventually deliberately make their things obsolete. Uh, So you have to do it their way... Uh, with a new device, which you've got to pay more for. Yeah, actually, I've decided I'm not ignoring them. I'm actively fighting against them now. I am Glenn ZB, fighting the war against Apple. Uh, that was the rewrap for Tuesday. I'll be back here again tomorrow for more. I guess nobody's going to be wrapping me up an iPhone anytime soon. Listener.